Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today for our sermon recap. We try to do each week. Uh, this week, our message came out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, which finishes the first chapter. And so we want to dive into that uh, this morning, hopefully expound on it a little bit more and have a good discussion with it. Uh, these verses come off of Paul using himself as an example of how the gospel is all that is needed. It's not the, it's not the law, because Paul knows if it had anything to do with the law, of all people, he would have been best probably, or one of the best, at least, when it came to the law. But he knew that's not what it was. It had nothing to do with the law that saved him. It was Christ that saved him, and Christ alone that saved him. And this is the gospel that <clears throat> Paul is sharing with the Gentiles, that he is hoping uh, stays, that nothing gets added to it. And so he uses himself as that example of saying, I was a sinner, these are my sins, blasphemy, persecutor, insolent, all this stuff, um, but his grace overflowed in me, and that's where we get to verse 15, where he says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that's why he came, and so uh, Paul talks about this again, fighting against the false teaching that is taking place, and as we get to verses 18 to 20, Paul puts his focus back on Timothy and the charge and the call of Timothy in his life and urges him actually uh, to continue fighting the good fight. And Paul even goes so far in these verses as to list a couple people in the church who it seems Paul's already dealt with some because he says there that he handed them over to Satan. Now, I don't know if what he meant by that was also telling Timothy, like, you need to tell them this. If Paul had the opportunity to tell them that or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but, again, action that Paul needs Timothy uh, to take. So let me just read these, just a, a few verses here. It says, This charge, <clears throat> excuse me, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophe prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, so Paul gets back to Timothy here, uh, and I want to camp out a little bit. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that you may wage the good warfare. Now, this idea of being entrusted with something, and that's what Paul's doing here for, for Timothy, as he says, he's entrusting him. Now, uh, many would say that Paul knows that his time is probably short at this point. That he knows he's probably going to die soon. Uh, people have been after him for a very long time. He'd been jailed, all these different things. And he knows that Christ hasn't come yet, and so the gospel needs to keep being proclaimed. And he needs to find people to continue to do this work. That was part of Paul's task, as he was to go to the Gentiles, yes, and share the gospel with them, but he then was to train up men to lead these churches, who then would continue to do that same work. Now, it's not the apostolic work. It's not the, the same work as the apostles, but it was to be preachers and teachers within the church and leaders of the church to shepherd people and to care for people. And here, he is laying that down to, to Timothy. Now, in the message yesterday, I didn't speak specifically of this task as pastors. And it's their job to, we are entrusted to continue to share the gospel. Uh, I kind of called our church out as well, as we have been entrusted with the previous generations before us to continue to share the gospel here where Monroe Missionary Baptist Church was started here in Monroe, Michigan, right, to be to be faithful. Um, so I'd like to hear from you guys a little bit. Have you thought much about that? Like, we are in a generation where we've been entrusted to hand it to the next generation or to the next. And I don't know how many generations we span right now. I'm, you know, you're probably always living within five generations, right? There's people who are 100 years old, which is a few generations from us, but then there's newborns who are also a couple generations from us. So there's a decent span. But we now are called to go out and to keep being faithful with this gospel message. And when you think about it a lot, 
I, it can become overwhelming, I guess, to me a little bit. Uh, have you guys thought much about that? And I, I know that it shouldn't be overwhelming because it's God who does that work and he's not going to let his church fail. So, uh, but still it can kind of feel heavy, I guess at times. What do you guys think? Anything? No. <laughs> I mean, no, I, you think about it and it's, uh, I guess reality sets in, not even just as a pastor, but yeah. just as a Christian mm-hmm. of the faith was handed to me. It was, you know, uh, I would not know the Lord if it were not for faithful people. And thinking back to the people that the Lord used in my life, it wasn't just my pastors. It was more often than not people who weren't my pastors that invested in me, taught me, uh, took me alongside them. That took work on their part. It took effort. It took their time on their part. And if I want what happened to me to happen to other people, I'm going to have to take up that mantle and keep doing that for other people as well, not even as a pastor, again, but just as a believer. And the Lord places people in my life that I can do that with, like my own children or my neighbors, you know, or people that I work with. Um, You know, so yeah, I mean, it's just uh, the reality sets in that this actually, this doesn't move forward unless we take up that charge and the way it's just passed on and on and on and on in that way. So... Yeah, I mean, one day you can, and I think this happens to churches, one day they look up and they say, where'd everybody go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've if you've not been trying to do this, what you were talking about, then that's where everybody went. You haven't been at work in that sense. Um, yeah, and this is the same calling, right, in Deuteronomy, right? It's not, it's not like a different one of teach this to your children, mm-hmm. and they will teach it to their children, right? We, we pass this thing down. We continue to, and don't let them forget, right? Don't let them forget what God has done for Israel. Mm-hmm. Tell them about Egypt and all this stuff. Tell them about the, the covenant that God has made with his people. Tell them the law, right? We have this, and it's, it's like it's continuing now with Paul to Timothy. Hey, we need to tell. I'm entrusting you with this, right, with this fight, to go and fight this good fight, uh, which is to stay true to the to the gospel message. And so, um, I, I had mentioned in the message we've all been entrusted with things at times. Uh, the example I gave in the message was like you get entrusted with people's kids sometimes. Just you know, if you're going to take your family bowling and you tell your kids, "Oh, you're going to want to invite some friends." Yeah, okay, tell them we'll pick them up. You're being entrusted with that child, and you want to. For me, it's usually I want to take better care of that child than my own at this time because <laughs> if my own get hurt, that's whatever. But I don't want that one to get hurt, right? I don't want to tell their parents. And so we take that task uh, seriously. Um, and this task, though, that we've been given, uh, we need to take very seriously because it's a high honor to be entrusted with the gospel. It's a high honor to be called by God to be able to serve him, to be able to love him. Right to be able to do things that he's called us to do, and so we need to take it very uh, seriously and see it as something that is important. And it's as if Paul is reminding Timothy of this. I don't think Timothy mm-hmm. doubted this, but he's just reminding him again, saying, right. "Remember what you've been entrusted with." I think I think a big part of that too, though, is um, uh, is reminding people that you have a tradition to pass on. Because uh, Paul, Paul in Second Thessalonians says that they are to walk, not walk in idleness. To, um, he says not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. The idea of tradition in the New Testament um, is not a bad word. Paul talks about traditions, and all he's saying whenever he talks about traditions is what has been handed on from one generation to another, which is continually passed down. And this is a different understanding of the way the Christian faith is passed down, because today we value. If I say something is old compared to being new, in our culture today, the word new connotes moral superiority, and the word old conveys bad. Or if I say something is contemporary or fresh or innovative or novel, oftentimes we think in our, in our culture today of those words as positive things. And if I say the word old-fashioned or traditional, um, we think negatively. Um, and that's actually, we need to realize that one of the things right away is that um, ancient, the past societies didn't have that understanding of the past. They, they actually thought in the past, um, they thought oftentimes that 
societies previous or, or generations previous were superior to our own generation. But we think the opposite way, typically. We think of ourselves as enlightened compared to the past being ignorant. And so I think right away, one of the things we have to do in the church is establish a principle that tradition in this sense that what the gospel faith found in the scriptures that's passed on from one generation to another is a good thing and not a bad thing. So we have to do that right away. So we actually realize we're going against the tide of our culture um, and ours and our cultural values um, right away. Because what happens today is you have churches that um, what, what is the big reason whenever you go often, this is in church planning. This isn't your grandpa's church. We do things differently here. We're real. We're authentic. Whereas the past, they weren't. So we're here and we're, we change our music. We change the, the, the setting. The building is different. The style of music is different. The style of preaching is different. We don't have pulpits. We don't. Why? Because we're trying to connote that we're different from the past. We're actually, I think if you understand the biblical perspective, it's not saying the past is automatically correct, but especially if you follow the fifth commandment, which applies to churches, I think, as well, which is honor your mother and your father, honor the previous generations, you'll understand that, generally speaking, that also means that while we might have to adapt to circumstances in our own time and place, generally speaking, the substance and the general way in which we do church is not different from the past, and it should not be different. So I think thinking about the gospel then is entrusted to us um, is 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 an inheritance it's not something i have to come up with right now and but that's what so often i think is conveyed in churches in in our in our society today i think that's that's pervasive mm-hmm. so by even talking about the fact that this is something a tradition that we have to entrust and pass down and it's an inheritance that is deposited in the church to be passed down to generations that's a totally different perspective then we're hoping to get this church here that's going to blow up for 20 years and then it's going to be gone in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Whereas you pointed out, we've been here 85 years and we hope to be here another 85 years. Well, that has a different understanding of the way tradition and the reception of the biblical truth works mm-hmm. um, compared to. Um, and so what that also means is you're going to have to oppose those principles of valuing contemporaneity or not novelness or innovation, you're going to have a different perspective on those words and those ideas. Um, that's that I think is our perspective is going to be more biblical, which is honoring the past, yeah. not viewing them as infallible, but honoring them and also understanding we're not the first people here yeah. to have this faith. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think there's a lot of reasons why we, we do that, why we think the past is not valuable yeah. or not helpful but I mean, what you're talking about and the subject of passing something on, of passing the baton, so to speak, I mean, this this necessarily involves interaction between generations mm-hmm. within a church, which is something that has to be a priority for any church. But many times we actually structure things to make it impossible for this passing on to occur. When you take age groups, you take the you know, the, the old person's Sunday school class, and they stay by themselves, and then you have these middle-aged people, and then you have the young kids and the youth and stuff. You've, you've segregated them, so how is anything supposed to be passed on mm-hmm. outside of, you know, the teacher that you have for that class? Um, but in terms of, like, a life-on-life, life, getting to observe what it looks like to live a life as a faithful adult Christian— we oftentimes structure things to where people just have to kind of figure that out on their own. Uh, it's not this idea of passing things on because you have to be able to interact with those who came before you. Mm-hmm. And there's the understanding that you need to be passing this on to those who are coming after you. Right. So, but our, we're kind of allergic to that yeah. kind of thinking. We don't want that mm-hmm. um, in our culture so much. And a lot of times in our churches. Um, and so we have to be careful to make sure things are structured to where we actually encourage these groups of people to interact. It's, right. It's good for grandparents to be interacting with their grandkids and their own children at the same time, or it's good for youth to be around their parents and their younger siblings at the same time to see how for everybody to learn from each other in a sense. But all the while, that's how things are passed on, you know, in yeah. just a normal, yeah. in a normal family context. 
Yeah, I don't have within my family like this passing on thing that I I see in others that I I think would be pretty neat to have. Like like you'll see sometimes with uh, some Native American families where they're like, we still want our kids to understand our old past traditions and so they'll do some things that uh, many of us would look like gosh it's just so old like why are you why are you making that blanket that way there's such easier ways now but no they're like no this is this is how we used to do it and we want our kids to know this or we're teaching our kids this language that's dead but it's our history right it's our past and i i always think that stuff's kind of interesting that yeah. some families have that mm-hmm. um or or you might even see uh some families now who are italian or polish or different things who's now they're multiple generations removed from being over there, but their family still holds mm-hmm. to some of that heritage, right? And so they eat a certain thing at Thanksgiving that is different or whatever. And the reason for it, though, is like we, we want our generations to know where we came from and yeah. who we are as a yeah. people. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important when you think about how does this happen within the church. Mm-hmm. You, this, you know, God ordained the primary means to, to teach people, I think, in the family. I mean, he has the church, and we use the church in those means, but the family— has a primary place in passing this on. Parents have a primary place in passing this on. But there's many, like you said, who, like, they don't have that in their family. Like, if you don't come from a Christian family, right? how's that supposed to be passed on? Well, that's why it's not just that your your family, in a sense, is a small church. Mm-hmm. It's also that the church is your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why your involvement and participation in the life of the church is important because what that is really is involvement and participation in the life of your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those, like, for instance, older men in your life that can speak into you, well, that's when you need to start going to some men's Bible studies or a group of uh, Sunday school class. You see a group of old guys, go sit by them, learn from them, mm-hmm. interact with them, mm-hmm. you know, compete with them in the chili cook-off or whatever it is, <laughs> you know. But uh, that's why we have to understand the church is a family. Right. And it should interact like one. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I, you just, I think as parents, as grandparents, you want this the natural rhythms of being a Christian mm-hmm. today to fall within your family. So mm-hmm. the easiest one I can think of is the natural rhythm of it's Sunday, we're going to church this morning, mm-hmm. right? And it's just, this is what we do. And even mm-hmm. if my kids are, someone asks, why do your parents, why do you guys keep going to church on Sunday? My kid's answer could faithfully just be, uh, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just like asking like, sure. why do you guys eat pasta? Right. That's what we do. Yeah, what do you mean? Right. It's just what we do. Yeah. And we love carbs. <laughs> I mean, you would hope that later they would have more theological responses, I guess, and a deeper understanding. But you just want to build those rhythms yep. into your family um, because that's what God uses, right? That's what you're saying. God God hopefully will use the services. You know, we'll, we'll use the Bible studies. We'll use the prayers at home. We'll use the reading of his word at, yeah. at home, what, what that might look like with you, right? Those natural rhythms that you've been entrusted with to now teach your children mm-hmm. and God uses, uses those. Things. And, I, and I think by the way, this, a good thing is, is I think people um, in our society today, they actually, there's, there's actually a certain segment of people that are non-Christians, but they see the value of what we're talking about as oh, far yeah. as a general sense of traditions. And they, they, they feel the disconnect. Oh yeah. And so I think, I think if we're, we're saying this, um, because the the tendency would be like, well, well, no one outside cares about that idea. I think actually there's a lot of people in our society that are that feel disconnected from the past and yep. from society as a whole, mm-hmm. and so they that what we're talking about will actually is actually very healthy. It's very human. It means very earthy, and um, and so I think I think we shouldn't act like what we're talking about is just going to be a downer for everybody coming in the church. I think there's actually a certain segment, and I'll say this particularly when you become a parent, because whenever you have people who are just single and they don't have children, um, and I was there at one point, or, or you're married without kids, whenever you have children, all of a sudden your perspective on family and also on church gradually changes and matures more. And so I think that's another perspective to, to keep in mind. This is actually a very good thing. I think that can actually help the lost and, and unchurched who come into church because they find themselves a, a part of, of a much bigger community, mm-hmm. which spans thousands of years, the church of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never felt connected, I would say to the past much, but when I went to D.C. recently, I did. Like, I'm looking at the monuments. I'm reading about this stuff. Right. And I'm at a place 
met different places where it's like, well, these people like walked here and there's like history and you're seeing pictures of the history. And I remember, you know, thinking that's my history. Like I knew, Mm -hmm. I knew that. I mean, I knew that, but I never really felt, but now I felt this connection with the, with the past and with America. And it was like, and that's me. Have you never been to the Monroe County Museum? You don't feel that way when you go there? Sixth grade, I went. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time. You don't feel General I thought you would feel that every time you go to Olive Garden. (laughs) (laughs) You hear Frank Sinatra playing overhead, and you're like, oh, this is is my heritage. Mm -hmm. That is blasphemy (laughs) for an Italian, what you just said. I'm with you. You just said, (laughs) I'm grafting. I'm not Italian. Is it Fazoli's? You'd rather go to Fazoli's, I bet. I would rather go to Fazoli's. I can't believe you Can said you that. stick this under that burner so that way the cheese gets browned? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's good stuff. No, I think uh, one example from my family growing up, as I remember, this was in my grandparents' house. There's a picture of my great-great-grandfather whenever he was in World War One. He's got a rifle. He's in his military uniform. And I saw that picture in my grandparents' house growing up my whole life. Mm. Well, that same picture is now in my parents' house. Mm. And I would love one day, if my sister will let me have it, to have to have that picture. Is at your my sister house. older than you? No. Well, why would she have a say? She wears the pants. I know. I know. You are the oldest. And she's. You are the lead male. I am. I am going to be mm. the Potterfamilius one day. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, that's from old Good brother Rado. That's Latin. You know, it's the Latin. head of the family. Yeah, that's I an old brother Rado. You know. Okay, so right, um, right. and so like I would love to have. Good I'm job, just saying sister. like, but that picture right there in a small way, and like there's also a little postcard they have, which was the ship that he came back across the sea on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, like I don't know much about him, obviously, but. That is part of my family's history. Yeah. That's a snow, mm-hmm. right? Who was over, who fought, you know, carrying the good snow name. But um, anyway, I'm just saying that's one thing. But we need to do that in our local churches, too. There is a connection. To say, yeah. look at those like, Look at the people who came over in the 30s, came up here in the 30s yeah. and started our church. Yeah. Or the Baptists from the past or the early church, yeah. fought, whatever. That's part of our story, too. And yeah, I, I just bring that up about American history because you were saying how people outside the church want to feel a connection to something, right? You were saying yeah. it's not odd. And yeah. when they see that they think they they could actually be drawn to it yes right yeah and that's why i was saying it's just you could feel that when you were there at like washington dc because everybody's there to feel that mm-hmm. to be drawn in like yeah. this is this is us this right. is our this is our story almost and, everybody and, and it gives story. you an identity yeah you have this identity which is which is nice. It's it's kind of similar. It's not much different than going to a, like a Michigan football game. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I was gonna say everybody. I think that's there, why so many people yeah. care so much about sports. Yeah, you have an identity. Yeah, it's because a, that's that's your group. This is who I am. Yeah. This is my people. Yeah. These are the ones I have something in common with. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's why like uh, some people. I know we're like really chasing this rabbit right now, but I know that's why I think some people get so into fitness and like especially places like CrossFit it almost becomes a kind of religion for people Mm -hmm. and it's where they find their community Mm -hmm. and like they start calling each other their brothers and their sisters. Right. They bring out that family language Mm -hmm. with that. I just think it's, it's going back to that human desire for community and belonging. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think just what the church has to show is that that community and that belonging is ultimately only fulfilled when we're together in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I think what one thing too, just to add, throughout scripture there's so many references about remember you know remember even even paul to timothy in, in, in the second second timothy remember your grandmother and your mother remember you know fan into flame what was given to you and i think even the passover was not just a remember what your forefathers went to but feel it you know that they had the they had the, mm-hmm. the the bread and the wine and they had the cups. You know, and that's the Lord's Supper. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. We need to remember. It has to be something that is sensational in that sense, where it's our mind and our and our body remembering. Oh, we're part of something bigger because we're so individualistic, and we need to get a, that that bubble needs to get popped. Which is why I think there's so many references to remember what God has done remember where you've come from remember your story even when you share your testimony when you share your story about what christ has done it brings you back to being you know acknowledging his faithfulness and his grace and it really helps us to grow fan in the flame as paul said to timothy so yeah and what and going with that the remember paul goes on he says this i charge this charge i entrust you timothy my child and he says in accordance with the prophecies previously made about Mm -hmm. you there's this remembrance and that's I didn't talk much about this in my sermon because I think it's going to come up more uh, in Timothy that I'll talk about it then. But what is being pointed to here, it seems, is what we today would call like an ordination, Mm. a setting apart Mm -hmm. that 
for Timothy, it, what this isn't this isn't a task that Timothy just came up with one day and was like, you know, I think I'd be good at this. I'm going to do this. Yeah. No, it was his his mother, his grandmother. Right. He's led to the Lord. He meets Paul. He gets to know Paul, and it's what what's happening here is people were making these prophecies about Timothy, and that prophecies of like I can tell your future, prophecies of this is what God is calling you to. Mm-hmm. We see this in you, mm-hmm. right? You you should be a teacher, mm-hmm. you should be a leader, or whatever. And Paul obviously was saying that to Timothy and leading him in that direction. And so one of the things that Paul is trying to encourage Timothy here to remember, essentially, is remember your calling. Yep. And how it was cemented, not just by you, but by others, mm-hmm. right? That in the the church, they sent you, which means you are called, right? They they approved of this. They they have prophesied, saying, "This is who you are. This is your task." Mm-hmm. And so, don't forget it, right? Don't forget what you've been called to do here, which is an important thing. Um, I know that's important for me mm-hmm. in my in my ministry. Again, Timothy was set to be a pastor, which is different than um, just a, a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. being a Christian, right? But I I think about that in my life when I was debating in my head of what I was going to do and feeling like, I think the Lord is calling me to go into ministry. Uh, a big part of that was people in my life affirming that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was magic. I mean, I don't think it was like some, they had a dream and they, some. no, it was just, it was a lot of, we could see, we can see that we could see that happening, you know, that this is making sense mm-hmm. type of stuff, which was very affirming for me that I often think back to, because nowadays there's times where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore and I'm not cut out for it. I shouldn't do this. Um, but I read passages like this mm-hmm. and it's like, remember, mm-hmm. remember your calling. It wasn't just something you did, right? This isn't just something where I came up with it one day. The church has ushered me through it. They've affirmed me along the way. And at a point in time, they actually set me apart, ordained me to ministry purposes. And so I need to remember that, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the four of us sitting at this table, it might not be ordination either. One of the things I need to remember is this church voted me in. They voted me to be this position, and I need to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the task they've called me to do? Well, to be the pastor, right? So do it. You could say it this way. What did they prophesy for you to do? To be the pastor. Okay, mm-hmm. now go mm-hmm. do it, mm-hmm. right? Um and it's just interesting that Paul, <clears throat> like you were saying, Davis, saying, Timothy, remember this, mm-hmm. right? Remember what they said. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. But that'll come up. That'll come up more. I didn't mention that much in the in the message there. Uh, but he talks about waging the good fight, okay? I wondered if when I was preaching this, if I did it justice, because there is a balance here um, that I want to be careful with, Uh let me think. Let me think. Where else? Do this. Uh, when did I say? Okay, it was down there. I was talking about perseverance. Let's let me get away from my notes. What I'm thinking about right now is the line of that's hard to teach. I think we are saved by grace through faith. We would all agree to that. The Bible also, though, tells us to be active, and so this idea of we are not active in our salvation in a sense of being able to save us, but we are called to action after that. And also, as John would say, I read, I read that in, in John and First John about if you are his, you're going to do his commandments. Where people will take that to be like they're cemented in salvation because they're doing good things. And that's not what John is saying. There's going to be an outflow. But I think this is a hard thing to teach because people can people can run with it sometimes mm-hmm. and it, it can get difficult to understand because on one sense, I want to look at our congregation. I want to look at myself in the mirror and say, do it, fight, go strengthen up, right? Uh, work out, get better. Do I want to say all this stuff to everybody be better because I think there's, I think it's appropriate to do that in a way. But I don't want people to start thinking, gosh, he's just just never good enough. No. We are we we are who we are, and Christ came, remember, for sinners to save sinners. He has saved us. Now let's go and and do. But also understand this. This is where the line is fuzzy again, I think, in people's mind. As we do better and go and do, realize the results are not dependent on us, they're dependent on him. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. You could do the best you can evangelizing to somebody, but if God doesn't prick their heart and open their eyes, it's not going to happen. And so it's not that you didn't study enough, you know, it's not that you didn't present it with the cube. Like I heard Scott talking about this morning, his evangel <laughs> cube or whatever he had in the office. Yeah. <laughs> I found it. Okay. <clears throat> it's a relic of the past. <laughs> yeah. Tradition. It's a tradition. They pass it on. Yeah. Yeah, but from Paul, but from you guys, <laughs> I just wonder how you feel about teaching that because there is like a, there is a line, right? And, and I think we all struggle with that individually in our own life. This whole idea of, of perseverance and being faithful. And like I said in the message, I know I should be better to my wife. I know I should pray more. I know I should read more. I know, I know, you know, this, this, I could keep going down the list and I don't want to be the person who sits back and says, ah, it's just all about grace. I'm never going to get any better. But I also don't want to be the person who's constantly just striving to be better, forgetting mm. that it is about it is about grace and his work in my life, right? So I don't know. Have you guys ever struggled, I guess, teaching that balance or even in your own life maintaining maintaining that balance uh the best you can? I think that's one of the that balance exists. What it is, I don't know. I think it's more like guardrails mm-hmm. that are on both sides mm. of the road that you bounce off of from from both of them from time to time to keep you actually on the road. But I think that's one that dynamic that you see in Scripture I think is one of the reasons that teaching the way we try to teach here through books of the Bible exegetically is so important because there's going to be some sermons that are sound like all grace, no work at all, like you just sit back and do nothing. And it makes the workers feel a little nervous. But then there's going to be some sermons that sound like all work, no grace, because that's what's being applied in the text at that time. But it's always based, it always works together. Mm -hmm. But sermons like that tend to make the all grace, no work people feel a little nervous. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like I've just had to come to a place where I'm comfortable with the tension and I have to trust the text that I'm teaching Mm -hmm. uh, to a you know, I always try to clarify when things need to be clarified. You need to be aware of the people that are in your church, mm-hmm. what their tendency goes towards of um, overworking or not trusting in themselves versus trusting in God's grace. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I just acknowledge what you're saying. Like there is a tension, and I feel like the best thing I can do is trust the passage that's in front of me and teach it to its fullest extent in the context that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because some passages I think will sound a lot more do and others will sound a lot more like receive. Um, but they, they work together. Mm-hmm. They do work together and good preaching will show how they work together. Yeah. Let's maybe back off the teaching aspect. What about just personally living with that balance, you know, because we all have to do it as believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and pastor, whatever, no different. We have to live with this, with this balance. And so, what do we do to, to do that? I guess I don't know if you guys have anything. Well, it's a very difficult thing. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's the life of faith because um, that's why he says fight because it's extremely difficult. I've not mastered that, but um, and not even come close. <laughs> um, because it is a very difficult thing. I do think um, understanding um, the as Protestants, one of the the basic things that we use to read the Bible in our past was the distinction between law and gospel. Law is everything that is in the uh, it's that tells me what to do, um, and the law is good, and that so broadly categorized, the law includes. Everything that is commanding me to do something. The gospel, strictly speaking, doesn't tell me to do anything. It just tells me what is given to me for Jesus Christ's sake. The One of the what things that, the, that Luther and the others would argue is that everything, so the law is good, but the law can't produce. So, for instance, I'm commanded to believe. The law says believe, but I can't believe. The law can't create belief in my heart. Only the gospel creates belief. I, I'm commanded to repent. And it's a good thing that I'm commanded to repent, but I can't repent. The law can't, and the law can't create repentance in my heart. Only the gospel can rep- create repentance in my heart. And so one of the things that Luther and those, uh, the reformers would say is that everything the law commands, the gospel gives. 
And so we live, we don't, we don't say on the one hand that I'm not commanded to do something. So for instance, I'm commanded to love others, to love my neighbor. Now, as a Christian, I'm never going to be able to do that perfectly in this world, but I should strive to want to do that. Well, how can I do that? Well, I can't do that by just sitting here and trying to create love in my heart for other people. God in the gospel comes and gives me that love then by, first of all, showing me his love in Jesus Christ. And then that bears fruit because of his active love that he puts in my heart um, that I then love other people. So I think it's important for having those basic categories of law and gospel in our minds, because if you don't, you're going to read the commands that are in the Bible, even gospel commands, and you're going to live a really frustrated life. And I do this oftentimes because I've forgotten the gospel. The fact that just because the law tells me to do something doesn't mean I can do it. It, that means it should drive me to the gospel to get everything I have in Jesus Christ to help me to do that, to give me the grace to do that. So, for instance, with perseverance, I'm commanded to persevere, but I can't persevere one day in my own strength. So I have to trust the fact that God preserves me. Hmm. So I persevere because God preserves me, and I have to use gospel, the gospel grammar. So um, because Jesus Christ has saved me, I will persevere. It's not, um, I'm going to persevere, so therefore Jesus Christ will save me. No, no, we have to, we have to make sure the gospel always comes first and drives all of those things. Um, so, so even whenever I preach the law and this is where like, I would say, even if I preach law passages, if I leave people at the end of the day thinking, okay, that's it. That's, that's not, I haven't done my finished job. I have to drive them to the fact that, okay, this is what the law says, but you need the gospel now to first of all, forgive you make you right with God, and then give you the power to live this way. Or if I preach the gospel, I have to remind people of the law so that the way they realize what Jesus came to fulfill. So we have to do both of those words, the, the, the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was part and parcel. And Scott, you did a good job of talking about, on the one hand, it says do, on the other hand, receive. That's, that's the basic distinction between law and gospel. Mm-hmm. Active yep. righteousness, what I'm actively called to do. Passive righteousness, which is the gospel, what I'm called to receive. Mm-hmm. And we have to give both. Yeah. We have to do both. Yeah. I, th- I mean, later on in First Timothy chapter 4, I mean, this is, I think this is a relevant discussion for what's coming this weekend for the youth with Disciple Now, because the way that I've structured Disciple Now is that it revolves around learning and practicing the spiritual disciplines uh, and how we are called to do that as believers, and why would we do that? How does that help us uh, grow in our faith? And one of the verses we always point them to at that retreat is First Timothy chapter four, uh, verse twelve. No, verse seven it says, "Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness." For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God. I think that's it. For this end we toil and strive because we've set our hope on the living God. There's almost both dynamics seem to be there in that one sentence. Mm -hmm. You toil, you strive. But your hope's not in your toil and your striving. It's on the living God. Mm-hmm. You've set your hope on him, and that, that's, that frees you to live in the way you've been called. And one of the passages that we're going to specifically look at this weekend is Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's this, I, I, okay, I've stored your word up in my heart. This, the theme of this weekend is memorizing scripture. And part of the reason you do that, so that I might not sin against you, to help in this warfare, in this fight, using the word of God that he's given to us. But you've got you've to store it up. Like, it does take effort on your part to do that. But because of the gospel, you've been freed to do that in that sense. So mm-hmm. it's a, it works Yeah, together. I like that you said the word freed there because that's, I guess that's what personally helps me think through this stuff is the freedom that I have in Christ. Um, it's almost like if I say I'm going to diet, one of the things that helps me in dieting is seeing some results. Like, oh, this is working, mm-hmm. right? And, and so you keep doing it. But the hard part of dieting is when you hit those plateaus and you're like, gosh, this isn't working anymore. And you get frustrated and you want to quit. 
Well, in the Christian life, as I toil and strive, I remember all of this works because he's done it for me. Like none of this is in vain. My toiling, my striving, my disciplining of myself, my wanting to grow closer to the Lord, all of this work that I am putting in has great value because it comes and flows from him of what he has done for me, right? It's not pointless. And that that helps me personally to want to keep doing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? Of disciplining my body spiritually so that I would not be disqualified. And I know I can't be disqualified because it's not about me, it's Christ who's one. Uh, and so that that makes me want to push harder and, and go more. Now, I wish I could say every day was, was that way. <laughs> Definitely have your down days. But in my head, I guess that's how I try to, I try to balance it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a doer. That's what I like to do. I'm not good at sitting. I'm not, I'm not good at just receiving. You know, you talked about the doing and the receiving. I'm not a good receiver. I don't like, I don't like that. I'd rather, I would rather do. And so I'm the one who gets frustrated by the receivers easily, (laughs) you know, and I tend to, uh, in my preaching, this is something I have to be careful about is I want to pick on the receivers. Um, and, and I notice that more, it's like, I need you to get up and do something. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and I do see that. In and this is, the ironic, this is the ironic thing. You can't get people to do something by telling them to do something. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That's the trick yeah, because, because, uh, that's one of the things the Paul or Luther always pointed out was that the law is unable to accomplish what it set, tries to, right. that's what Paul figured out. Yeah. I heard the command don't covet. Mm-hmm. So then I'm going to try to not covet. Nope. I covet all the time. So the law is unable right. to produce that. And that's the ten, that's mm-hmm. the trick. And that's actually the why moralistic preaching is so popular because we believe mm-hmm. that if I, the, what I get to, I can get you to do stuff by telling you to do it. Yeah. But that's actually not the way the gospel and the law mm-hmm. works. The law is good, yeah. but the law cannot create what it tells me to do. Yeah. And so, you know, I think I think one of the things too you talked about results, and this is a trick too is, um, we're commanded to believe and repent, but actually, if you look at the old way, the Protestants are justification and sanctification are both God's works. I'm called to repent and believe, but sanctification is not my work. It's actually a process of God's Spirit in my life, and sanctification will bear fruits in my life that are visible, but sometimes God's at work sanctifying me. That's not going to be seen with my eyes or with other people's eyes. And so I think like you said, the results, we have to walk by faith and by repentance and and judge things from God's perspective. Um, because, um, we're not always the best judge of what sanctification should look like or what, um, or what, what this Christian growth should look like in my life all the time from a visible perspective. Sometimes we can judge those things, but also I think I'm just saying, um, remember, remember that, um, you're not always the best judge of of those things in your own life or in other people's lives. But it is fair to say, right. That there are things we can judge, right. I can judge how often I read the word of God, how much I'm studying it and meditating on it. And like he's going to, Scott's going to do scripture memorization. He said with the students, that's something that I can judge. Now that don't, is an equal holiness, right? You might no. have a student who's like, I memorized all John and they're the worst sinner there. They've never trusted in Christ fully. Right. Yeah. They only sure. did it because I offered him $10. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Are you offering $10? <laughs> I told all the students that if they could memorize all of Psalm 119, then I would give them a dollar for every verse. Wow. And some of them are seriously starting to do it. <laughs> That's a 179 like verses. Yeah. 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 It's going to be Whoa. great. If they do it, I'll gladly give them the money. You're giving it to them or is it coming out of the youth budget? It's coming out of the youth Wait. budget. <laughs> That's the church giving it to them then. Uh, it's, that's going to be a to, tough PO to sign. It's going to do a good <laughs> <tough> PO. <laughs> Just print it in black and white. Yes. Yeah, black yeah. and white. Yeah. Scott's professional account. Yeah. Scott's professional account. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's funny. But. Anyways, this is, so this is where my struggle is. I'm glad you bring that up, Spencer. Yeah, it's good. Because I do believe there are practical things, though, that we can look at as believers, knowing mm-hmm. I'm a believer, knowing that God has done something to me. It is okay for me to look and say, I should be in his word more. Mm-hmm. Or I'm only going to church twice a month. That's a problem. Like, you can do better. Go go every week, right? Or mm-hmm. you haven't been at a Lord's Supper service in how long? Like, you 
you should be a part of that. Or, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, the fruits sure. of the Spirit, right? I can That's look at I the fruits thinking. of the Spirit and be like, gosh, I'm always angry. That's a problem. There's something I I need to get better in that. So when you talk about God is the one who works sanctification out, right. yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I believe that I could see in me anger and say, I need to work on that. And so that's I start. Called, and that's called repentance. Yes, right. Right. That's what I'm right. right. Yeah. And yeah. so it's okay to have these steps. I'm just afraid sometimes, and again, because this is my bent, I'm afraid sometimes people just sit back and they have the excuse of, sure. no, God has to do that. And it's like, yeah, but he got, he he tells us to go in the battle. Yeah. Like Timothy, yeah. fight the good fight. Right. This is the fight. I'm not, I'm not fighting those people. Most of the time I'm fighting me i'm fighting my fighting me right and i'm trying to battle that and we we need to be faithful to do that but at the same time resting in his grace and that's that line that we're Mm -hmm. talking about and that that struggle that all of us as individuals have and there's some probably who we need to look at and be like you need to get up gosh get stop being lazy there's other people we need to look at and be like Mm -hmm. you need to calm down Mm -hmm. right well and i think again though like (laughs) that's the the thing is though is is you're exactly right. Paul will Paul will preach the law, mm-hmm. and Jesus preached the law yeah. at times to people. You think about, for instance, Jesus preached the law whenever the rich young ruler came to him and said, "Hey, I've done everything." And Jesus says, "Okay, you've done everything. Here's a here. If you really then prove yeah. you've done everything, right?" And he heightens the law. It's actually he doesn't actually preach the gospel to the rich young ruler. He says, "All right, I'm Raise God here. I'm yeah. God here. You want to follow the first commandment?" And he can't. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus there is saying is he should do that. And Paul does this too. Paul preaches the law and says, you should do this now. And then by leaning back on the power of the gospel, though, then we are able to live in light of the law. But the, the trick is, and the, the, the danger is, is whenever we start to trust the law to produce that reaction, mm-hmm. that, that result, and it can't do that. It can guide and it can convict and mm-hmm. it can restrain, but it can never ultimately produce that. Mm-hmm. And I think while on the one hand we don't we we always want to make sure we have a very high view of the 10 commandments of the law of god and we want to make sure we always make that clear to all of us because that convicts me of sin and it also points me to what's pleasing to god but on the other hand never trusting that yeah. the bare imperative and to think, be able to con- create that love yeah. in my heart and that seems to be the difference between some of the commands of paul in his letters like in colossians when he's telling the colossians to put on the new self yeah he's not saying be justified by putting on the new self, right. which that yeah. seems to be the motivation of the rich young ruler. Right. He wanted to be justified mm-hmm. by his works. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if we know we're justified by Christ Correct. in his works, now I get to yep. live in the way that is pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Partly because I've been regenerated. Mm-hmm. I've been made new. Like yeah. That's yeah. part of what it means to be in Christ, right. is that you've risen with him to new life. Right. And so in, in that sense, we're never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But we now get to live in a way that, like mm-hmm. you said, is pleasing to God. Yeah. And it's not because we want to be justified by that. Right. It's because we simply want to. Mm-hmm. We find joy in living in a way that pleases God. Yep. And I think the motivation behind, and that's what's so hard yeah. for some people, is the motivation. And that's why it's hard for us as pastors even teaching it, yeah. is because I want to say what the passage says, but I got to be careful and think about all the different motivations that are in this room mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. in people's hearts. And that's where I just have to trust the Lord and the Spirit to work mm-hmm. in, in their hearts the way it needs to. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why we can't get past grace, right? We can't we can't exceed to a higher can't. level than the gospel. It's like, give yeah. me something else. And it's like, well, you need the gospel again. Because yeah. that is what causes people to move. I mean, that is that is our motivation. We, we love is, him. Because he, he first loved, loved us. us, but yeah. we should love him. Right. But don't I can't forget. do it. Jesus Unless, said, don't forget, I chose you. You did not choose right. me to his disciples. And I, th- I was thinking about the fruit of the spirit. You know, it's interesting because it's the fruit of the spirit. The spirit of God produces the fruit. And yet we're also called to be fruitful, mm-hmm. self-control. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know the, these these very strong verbs that are used um, in Greek that are basically like do this. Yet it's also, it's not. You do it. It's the spirit of God. Paul said, work out your salvation with mm-hmm. fear and trembling. That's the idea. I think you were saying, Tim, about like, you know, this is like when you think about, you know, all that we have been trusted with. It's like scary. Or you said it, Spencer. I think it's scary because this warfare that we're in. And then he says in the next next phrase, but it's God who mm-hmm. works in you. 
And that's the, that's the encouragement. It's like we do our best. The word faithful that you use oftentimes, I think that's just a great description of we're faithful, we're doing our best, and yet it's God who's working in us. He's producing the fruit, and he's the one that's helping us connect mm-hmm. more with him. You know, as Jesus said, remain in me and I'll remain in you. The more you do that, the more fruitful you are. But it's an mm-hmm. act. It's not a passive thing. Well, and eventually that drives us to prayer. Exactly. Because prayer is the cry of somebody who says, I know I should be this way more, but I can't do it. Yes. So I have to pray then to God, and then God, in his grace, gives me everything he calls me to be. And that's the role of prayer in the Christian life. But you're not going to pray. Um, sadly, say this to my own shame. You're not going to pray unless you really, unless you feel you need God's grace. Mm. Yeah. Well, we only did verse 18. <laughs> you, good you, verse, though. You covered the rest so well, though. No, I was really looking forward. We, we've compiled the list of members we were going to talk about along oh. in verse 20. We didn't get to that. Maybe that'll be another podcast where we'll talk about those church members we wanted to call out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And release to Satan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Maybe I want to say be, maybe that'll be a special. And you guys, <laughs> never mind. I got something to say. But say it. You guys were after me whenever I was talking about the word excommunication. Whenever we were talking about church documents and everything, you're talking about you're, you. I was you. I got pushed back from saying that I was in favor of using the word excommunication. And then when you're up there saying you're using the phrase handing over to Satan, just reading so I'm like, what it says. I know, but I'm just saying like over to Satan. I got pushed back from that saying that's too harsh. And then. I was and here we are, and you're the up there saying, "Hand yeah. him over, hand <laughs> him over." <laughs> okay, yeah. you know. So anyway, can you find me the verse that says excommunication? Because I can find the verse that says hand over to Satan. Okay, yeah. are you going to say you going to put that? First put that I'll, I'll let you put that into the uh, church constitution. We'll talk to Brother Larry, yeah. Yeah. and we'll have that as yeah. the uh, last yeah. step of good yeah. call. Yeah, you are now handed over. Anyways, well, yeah, I don't. We don't have time to talk about all that, which is fine. Yeah. Unless you guys really are dying to. No, no, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We can, we'll we we'll be talking about the Baptist church government, and so we can probably try to put that under there. Somewhere. All right, yeah, yeah, at some point. Okay, yeah. well. We hand that over to you. To do. Hand that over to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. I knew you would. <laughs> I knew you would. Well, next week we'll be in First Timothy again, chapter 2, somewhere. Not sure which verses, but. Hopefully verse 1. Some of them. Probably verse 1 will probably, get hit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which other ones, but we'll find out, I guess, uh, when we get there. So, well, hopefully we uh, see you this coming Lord's Day on Sunday uh, to worship together. Uh, But until then, we hope you have a, a great week. God bless.